gotta do is pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and I'll be right there for a day without your love. Just ain't, just ain't fair. Thank you. Uh, when I came here, I saw Skrillex and I saw uh, Cruella, which are some EDM acts, which is completely different from the style of music that I make. Uh, I do like R&B, soul, experimental, alternative stuff. But um, yeah, so it's weird being here now. I mean, like last time I was here, I was at an EDM concert, and now I'm about to share what I love and my passion here. So, um, so this next track is. A new song off the EP that I'm going to release in the fall. I'm really excited to be able to share this song on stage because on this stage, like, it's my dream. Welcome to the Finance and Governance Committee of Denver City Council. This meeting of the Finance and Governance Committee begins now. All right, good morning, everyone. This is Tuesday, February 27th, Finance and Governance Committee. I'm Amanda Sawyer, and I have the honor of chairing this committee and representing District 5. Um, before we get started, let's do a round of introductions. Tim, is there anyone online? Great. Let's start online, please. Uh, good morning, everyone. Kevin Flynn, Southwest Denver's District 2. Great. Thank you. And then we'll go all the way down to my left and start uh, in the room. Thank you. Good morning. Diana Romero-Campbell, District 4 in Southeast Denver. Good morning. Serena Gonzalez-Gutierrez uh, at large. Flora Levitas, Lucky District 7. Good morning, Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Good morning, Chantel Lewis, District 8. Good morning, Daryl Watson, Fine, District 9. Hi, folks, Sarah Parody, I represent the city at large. Great, thank you all. So we've got three action items today um, and the briefing, so we've got a busy one here. So I am going to let the Department of Finance take it away. Thanks. Good morning, I'm Jessica Stiebel with the Department of Finance, here to present the Series 2024A and 2024B Certificates of Participation on behalf of the Department of Finance. First, we'll start with um, a quick agenda. Uh, we'll cover today a summary of the requested actions we have here for your approval, a Certificate of Participation Overview, and then um, high-level key financing terms for each series, and then go into specifics on 2024A and 2024B, and then um, covering the timeline as it relates to these two transactions. So first, what we have here today for you is um, the two actions for your consideration, starting with the Denver Post Building Series 2024A uh, Certificate of participation um, in a principal amount not to exceed $90 million for the purpose of funding the acquisition of the building at 101 West Colfax in the amount of $88.5 million and also covering the associated costs of issuance. These types of expenditures are attorney fees, um, at times rating agency fees, and underwriter fees. The second action for your consideration is the uh, 
issuance of the certificate of participation in the amount not to exceed 25 million for the acquisition of the building at 7525 East Hampton Avenue for the amount of 21 million. Um, some additional costs as relates to the acquisition um, specific to make that building meet the city's needs and then uh, the standard issuance of cost or standard cost of issuance um, with the COP. Um, before I move forward, I want to acknowledge the fact that we recognize there's a $180 million budget reduction that the city is considering and we're all um, working together to figure out how to uh, address. These two actions do um, in fact take that into consideration and provide you both cost savings and cost avoidance um, uh, considerations as a part of 2024 budget. So first to start with the certificate of participation overview or what we like to call a COP. It takes the form of a lease purchase or a rent to own type of transaction. They represent a uh, lease, an interest in a lease between the trustee representing COP holders or our investors and the state or local government, in this case, the city and county of Denver. These are typically used for the purchase or construction of real property. They are not considered debt according to um, the state uh, mandated and defined TABOR. They are subject to annual appropriation as a part of our annual budget process and approved by city council annually. And most importantly, they must have a city-owned asset as collateral or the leased property. The collateral is released uh, when the COP is retired, just like our, our home, at our own home. And if the city fails to appropriate the annual COP lease payment, the trustee would take possession of the pledged collateral for the benefit of the COP holders. The types of due diligence that capital funding does when we're taking into consideration a COP for the city is the best candidates are financing that are long-term assets or long-lived assets that have high acquisition costs that would be um, disruptive if we tried to fund with cash or with any given annual budget process. There are also capital projects that must be essential to delivering uh, core city services and then we seek to always ensure that they have either a new rev revenue stream or a measurable amount of cost savings or cost avoidance uh, that may be dedicated to those annual lease payments. And then um, we also, as a part of our debt policy, always seek to ensure that they have um, the aggregate annual lease payments of all of our C COPs do not exceed 5% of the acquiring funds annual revenues. The current aggregate annual COP lease payments, including these two COPs that we're bringing to you uh, for consideration, represent still less than 3% of our uh, current general fund. So high level overview of our uh, two specific series. First, they are going to be sold via a direct placement to JP Morgan Chase Bank, who was selected via a competitive bid process. The Department of Finance facilitated this process in adherence with the city's uh, procurement policies, best practices, and EXO 101. And uh, to note that the final interest rate, as well as some of the numbers we've outlined previously or here in this slide, um, will not be locked in until city council approval. So uh, to cover both of these series, they uh, will establish two new series in 2024. Uh, both will be taxable due to the nature of the specific series. So starting with 2024, it's a taxable um, type of certificate of participation due to the revenue stream that we will also be acquiring with this acquisition. The interest rate is not to exceed 7%. Uh, 
we are acquiring um, the building at 101 West Colfax and paying for the associated cost of insurance. The collateral associated with these COPs will be the building itself at 101 West Colfax in an amount not to exceed $90 million with an estimated average annual payment of $6.8 million and a final maturity in 10 years, um, December 1st of 2033. The second series is um, very similar, taxable in um, the, due to the fact that we intend to sell the building, um, our prop, total property in two to three years to align um, with the initiatives around our housing support and also not to exceed 7% with the acquisition of the actual property at 7525 East Hampton and including the cost of issuance. Similar pledged collateral of using the building itself a par not to exceed the 25 million with an estimated annual payment of 3.6 million and the 10 year uh, maturity in December of 2033. So now I will move forward into more specific details about the Denver Post. Starting with the finance overview, um, as just to level set, um, uh, City Council did approve the purchase and sale agreement for 88.5 million in January of 2024. As a part of the acquisition, we're also buying um, or acquiring the master lease with Denver Media LLC, which will produce 47 million in revenue over the next six years, including 2024. Denver Media does retain full authority, tenant authority over the entire building, which means they also retain all sublease revenues, including parking management and collections. But we will be taking full possession of the building and parking management and collections in Q4 of 2029. The annual COP, COP payments are expected to be paid from the master lease revenues. The types of strategy and objectives we deployed um, were structured in, in a way to optimize costs while managing risk and meeting project needs. Specifically, uh, funding sources. So in uh, the general fund is a traditional source or backstop to many of our COPs that we already have established. The Denver Post COP is actually um, expected to be fully covered by the new revenue source for the first six years. Um, and then the budget impact, as I mentioned um, at the beginning of the presentation, that the post actually provides revenue and cost savings for the city, which I'll go into further detail here in a little bit. And then most importantly, the structure that we are deploying um, by doing a private placement allows us to actually do a refunding or consider a refunding um, as early as Q4 of 2029 to align with that master lease expiration, which will uh, provide the opportunity for the administration, city council to um, um, consider any refunding and potential um, change in the COPs and issue those into tax exempt, which would actually reduce costs to the city. So to focus in a little bit more on the specific details um, and how this affects the general fund in 2024, our average annual, our, our estimated annual revenue in 2024 from the master lease is expected to be 7.8 million. Our estimated payment is expected to be 6.8 million, which leaves us remaining revenue um, after the COP payment of approximately a million dollars. We'll use that million dollars to apply towards the already required sublease revenue, I mean, subleased um, rental payments that are required for the city's footprint that we are already leasing over the Denver Post building of 5.2 million. So that actually reduces the general fund costs by a million dollars in 2024. 
When we turn to the remainder of the term where we have the master lease in place, the um, revenue that we will be obtaining from Denver Media LLC actually steps up year over year, as well as our footprint steps down year over year as we come back into the web building in alignment with the web restack. So what that means is the average annual revenue will be approximately $8 million a year. Again, the average annual uh, COP payment that we're estimating will be 6.8 million, leaving us a little over a million dollars every year, which we will then be able to apply to the existing required uh, sublease rental payments and reducing the overall expenditures to the general fund down to around $700,000. All right, now we'll move forward into the embassy suites and then talk timeline. Good afternoon, members of council. My name is Lupe Gutierrez, also with the city's Department of Finance. I'm gonna provide a brief overview of the second ordinance request, which authorizes COPs for the embassy suites acquisition. So before getting into further detail on the transaction itself, um, I did wanna highlight some of the financing strategies and objectives that DOF considered as it was structuring the transaction for this particular acquisition. Um, much like in the case um, as is with the Denver Post, the funding source for the COP payments Although it is a general fund pledge, the revenue source for this particular COP will be from the Homelessness Resolution Fund, and that's given the nexus of the housing support prioritization by the city. As it relates to budget impacts, although we don't have a new revenue opportunity, there is pretty significant cost savings or cost avoidance opportunities here that I'll highlight on the next slide. And lastly, uh, the Embassy Suite COP does have the flexibility to be repaid in three years or refunded in three years. That aligns with the city's objective to be able to sell the, or the property if it so desires to at that specific point in time. I also wanted to highlight for council that this particular COP financing does um, uh, follow an action that was previously taken by council with the purchase and sale agreement that was approved back in December of 2023. At that point in time, it was decided that this was a strategic real estate opportunity for the city to take advantage of uh, with the expectation that within the next few years, we would be able to sell the property, but in the meantime, provide for the significant um, housing needs that had been identified by the city. If council approves this COP transaction, uh, this proposed uh, financing will allow us to essentially take full possession of the facility and actually close on the COP as soon as April of 2024. In terms of highlighting the cost benefit here, I did wanna highlight for council that based on an $825,000 lease that's currently in place to use the facility, uh, which equates to about 9.9 .9 million per year, uh, that versus what we would be paying in an annual COP payment, which includes principal and interest, is about 3.6 million. So when we look at that over a three-year time horizon, which is when the city would likely sell this property, that would produce um, a pretty significant savings for the city. So we would have paid 30, I'm sorry, 30 million to actually lease the property versus approximately 3 million in interest, at which point in time we'd be able to resell the property. Given the city's desire to potentially sell this facility in about three years, we structured this COP with that in mind. So it is a fairly short duration. It's a 10 year term COP. Uh, that aligns with the city's flexibility to sell this property as soon as December 1st, 2027. 
The annual COP payments at that level would be approximately 3.6 million. And as Jessica highlighted previously, these types of payments related to COPs are subject to annual appropriations by city council. Moving on to the proposed next steps and timetable for these COP transactions, I did wanna highlight for council that assuming approval of these two transactions, the next step in the council process would have us at mayor council on March 5th, a filing of substantially final COP documents as soon as March 6th, and then first and second reading on March 11th and March 18th. Um, that would then follow publication of the respective ordinances at that point in time is when we would officially consider the transactions approved and we would like to move as soon as possible thereafter to actually lock in the interest rate. We are not able to lock in the interest rate in final terms until we obtain council approval and that's the soonest we'd be able to do that. So assuming locking in the rate, we would then move to documentation or finalization of documentation for these transactions and actually close on the real estate and COP transactions as soon as uh, April 8th. So I think that covers the COP transactions and the high level overview. Uh, the other component that we're gonna be covering today is another uh, appropriation request related to the Denver Post transaction. I'm actually gonna invite one of my colleagues up to be able to highlight that particular request. All right, good morning, uh, members of council. Jackson Brockway with the Capital Planning and Programming Team uh, here to overview the last item for your consideration this morning. A, uh, Build request for appropriation of $2 million out of CIP contingency to support uh, an escrow payment associated with the acquisition of 101 Colfax Avenue, i.e. Uh, the Denver Post building. So just a bit quick background here, the purchase and sale agreement, which was approved by council, requires a uh, $2 million payment for escrow. Uh, this was identified by CPP staff as, an, as a uh, great use for CIP contingency, which we budget as 4% uh, of CIP revenues annually. Um, and as an un unanticipated cost when we were developing the budget, um, this is really the types of things we look to use contingency for. Uh, and the, the last thing I wanna point out with this appropriation is um, the expenditure is included in the total financing of the 2024 AA series and will ultimately be reimbursed uh, upon the closing of the COPs. Uh, so with that, I, we're, we are here to answer any questions you may have, thank you. All right, great, thank you. I want to welcome Council Pro Tem Sandoval to the meeting, and let's go online to Council Member Flynn. Uh, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, quickly, uh, on the Denver Post building, the revenue from BP Media of $7.8 million, this is on slide nine, uh, we are paying uh, how much? We are paying $5.193 million. Are there other tenants... Uh, subleasing from DP Media in the building other than the city and county of Denver? Good morning, Lisa Nunley, Director of Real Estate. Yes, I'm aware of at least two other subtenants that are in the building. There could be a third. Okay. Um, so we would become their landlord through this. But no. oh, through the sublease, through the sublease from DP uh, Media. No. Councilman, their term would be coterminous with Denver Post, so they would expire at or before the time that the Denver Post lease expires. That's right. That's 2029. Yes, correct. Okay. If I if I read these numbers correctly in both cases, and I don't know, Lisa, if you're the one to answer this or if it's uh, someone from finance, 
uh, Jessica, maybe. Uh, we actually uh, are having net positive impact on city revenues from both transactions, at least through 2029 in the case of the Denver Post and through and for the next three years in the case of Embassy Suites. Is that what you're telling us? Yes, that's correct. All right, thank you. That's all I have. Okay, great, thank you. I also wanna welcome Council President Torres to the meeting. Sorry, I missed you there, my bad. Let's go to Council Member Romero Campbell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, and thank you for the presentation and overview and going nice and slow to just make sure that we all understand the COP. Okay, maybe just me understand the COP correctly. Um, wanted to ask um, specifically, you had um, spoken about the, the structure for the COP for embassy suites being shorter with the intent to sell. Um, how, how exactly does that work? Is that is this just our intent or do we have something in writing where we know that this will transition into affordable housing? Thank you, Councilwoman. I think, um, you know, the publicly we have committed that this will be short term and then we will go ahead and transact with the partner. Um, what that looks like, I think that is working with host over the next couple, the next, certainly the next 12 months, mm -hmm. um, we would need to put an RFP in place and then go out to the market. Uh, I don't know if host has anything else they want. So, I mean, I, I think that's something to come, but that is a commitment that was made publicly at the community meetings. Okay, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I have another question specifically about the amount that will be, it looks a little bit over what what we had, um, oh, I lost my slide, uh, what we had discussed. So it's 30,000 or 30,000, 30 million. And is that the total amount or can you talk to us a little bit more about the amount of the sale? Absolutely, so the 30 million that I believe that you're referencing is mm -hmm. on slide 13. Yes. And what that does is it actually compares kind of the cost difference between continuing to lease versus financing. So the 30 million actually represents the approximately 9.9 .9 million, which just round up to 10, that we would pay over the next three years just for leasing. So that would be sunk cost compared to financing via a COP, which you also have an interest expense there, which is about 3 million for the total uh, three years, mm -hmm. um, also sunk cost, but at least at that point in time, you would be able to resell the property and potentially recoup part of your investment. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Um, I don't have any other questions right now, Madam Chair. Thank you. Okay, great, thank you. Council President Sandoval. Thank you, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, where in the presentation and the financing do we have the numbers for um, taking care of the buildings? So there's always like, where can we get the um, appraisal of what the building is now, what condition the building is, and now both buildings, the Denver Post and Embassy Suites, like have we done, have we had a team go in and look at the roof, look at the HVAC, look at the elevator systems, and what is that number, and then how much would it cost each building um, to, because I don't see that in any of the slides, and as a landlord, we would have to take care of all of those things. So great question, thank you for that, Councilwoman. 
for Denver Post, uh, two things. We have, now that the purchase and sale agreement has been approved, we have engaged working with Dottie, a consultant, to go in and do the facility assessment so that we can capture that. What I want to clarify, though, is because of that master lease with the Denver Post, the city is not responsible for any of the operating expenses or maintenance of the building until we take possession um, in 2029. So that is, that will, we will be doing this work so that we can look at it down in the six-year plan on the horizon. But for the immediate future, we do not have any obligation to maintain the building. Um, for Embassy Suites, though, we're doing the same facility assessment. That is underway right now. Um, I just don't have the numbers back. We expect that in the next few weeks. So if we go to um, slide 15 and we have um, finance and government, mayor council, filing of documents, first reading by March 11th, where between now and filing of documents would we be able to see all of that? Because that matters in these costs. Councilwoman, I, if I may get back to you, my guess is based on what we're hearing about the facility assessments for embassy, uh, we probably would be in the, probably between first and second reading. And I'll see if we can get something sooner, at least a verbal. I can and see about that. what about the Denver Post? Uh, same probably timeline, they're still working on it. The Denver Post, though, because it's such a larger building, may take more time. But like I said, because we don't have any obligation for the next six years or through 2029, um, that is why it, it will not be an immediate obligation to the city on any of those repairs. That will all be Denver Post. Even the part that we're leasing? Correct. Correct. I mean, we, we still, well, what we're leasing is really our obligation, and I'd have to pull the look to go double check, but it would be things like if we have repairs in the rest, or we don't even have restrooms. Um, we would have some restrooms, some things like that, but it is not based on major structural repairs of the building. We might have an obligation for a percentage, um, and can that's I where. Get, can we get those numbers? Yeah. That, that matters. Yes. And then how does yesterday, uh, City Council, mm -hmm. we talked about a lease for the parking garage. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how we just brought forward a lease for a parking garage for mm -hmm. 30 cars for Denver yep. to be PHG. Well, how does that all work into this financing structure? It does not. So again, as long as the Denver Post has the full master lease of the building, they have the right to collect the revenue for it. That includes the parking garage. Um, if we don't do this deal, um, as far as the acquisition, DDPAG would still need those parking spaces as they stated yesterday, and they would still pay those rents. Um, once we take possession, then there would be, the parking is upwards of 650 spaces. So that would be regular revenue annually that we would generate once Denver Post is out of the building officially, their master lease terminates, and we have full possession of the building. Okay, and then, um As we're structuring these, so do you have an appraisal on both of those buildings? And I know we asked for the appraisal prior, but then you said we had to get to this step to see the appraisals on both those buildings. So can now- can Councilwoman, I believe we already, I sent that to you. Can you uh, send them? Yes, I'm happy to. For both buildings? Correct, I okay. will be happy to. And then talk to, on the average cost, 7% interest rates are high. Everyone knows interest rates are high. Why are we build, buying a building when our interest rates are so high right now? And then market studies of downtown Denver have done an analysis of like, there's this analysis out there where it talks about lower downtown and the vacancy rates. 
in mid-downtown and vacancy rates and then where we are at the very top of the 16th street mall say like broadway area or wherever the denver post is and vacancy rates from the analysis that i've gotten we are getting this building really expensive i've heard from other analysis that we could actually get this building cheaper later and hopefully maybe the interest rates are down because I don't remember ever having 7% on a COP. Like, do we have 7% on COPs? I mean, maybe back in the day, but not recently, right? Yep, we were up towards that, thank you. Um, so in regards to the interest rate, that is a not to exceed. Um, and so we're putting 7% in there so that we can ensure that in a month from now, when we're estimating based on the timeline that we're able to lock in our rates upon the full body's approval on um, March 18th, that <clears throat> we'll be able to still be within where the market is at. The initial proposals that we got in early January was actually 4.6%. So that we're providing um, a buffer and a not to exceed in par value and a not to exceed in, in interest rate to ensure that we have the ability to lock in at the time of market. And then in relation to the rest of the market, as well, Thank you. Uh, Councilwoman, I, what I will just um, quickly speak to, and again, this goes back to the appraisals I sent, which have comps in the back, and I'm happy to point out where when I resend this. Um, part of the valuation that was used for the building is based on the revenue that the Denver Post lease itself generates. That was considered an above market deal compared to today's rates for a single tenant user. And so that is factored in, which goes back to again, that 47 million that we will be collecting over the next few years. So that combined with other comparable buildings, and I think that's the key. Not every building that some folks have brought forward are truly comparable buildings based on class and size. So again, I'm happy to send the appraisals so that you can see that. Because I just that's what I'm saying. The comps I'm, will be in there. Remind me how much of the Denver Post, like of the vacancy, how much is vacant of that building right now? Uh, well, again, it doesn't matter because the Denver Post still is paying a. I know, but it rate. does matter. How much is it vacant? Uh, probably about fifty percent, forty percent. So we're buying a building that's fifty percent vacant. No, we're buying a building that is one hundred percent paid for through their tenant lease. That is the difference. So the tenant has 100% of the building. When it's appraised, it's appraised at that because they have an existing contract in place. But we have a part of lease there. We do, but that doesn't matter in the way that it is looked. They can have, they don't have to have any subleases in it and they still pay their rent or they could have it 100% leased and they still pay their rent. The, that part doesn't matter in the way it's valued. It's valued based on the lease the Denver Post has. Okay, and my last question, Madam Chair. Why now? Why now? Yeah, because like, I don't see other major investors investing in, I see wanting to have com commercial to residential 100% in the downtown area. Why now for the residents of Denver? Because it seems like there's this contradiction. We're facing a $180 million budget fall. Mm -hmm. We barely recovered from COVID. Um, why are we doing this transaction now? Why not within a year? Uh, a couple of things, Councilwoman, because the seller is poised to sell the building. Um, we are in a unique situation where we're already paying into it. So it's almost as Lupe and Jessica had said, this lease to own with the COP. So if we do not buy the building today, 
we know that we have a commitment of $5 million this year and another couple million for the next years. Those are sunk dollars that we never get back. If we buy the building now, separate from the fact that we have a court study that shows that we need courts ready to go by 2030, which we already are not positioned to do. Um, right now, it shows that the COP for 2024 will actually realize a million dollars in savings to the general fund that will help offset those revenues. And then for the next, you know, foreseeable years through 2029, as the rent for Denver Post increases and we step down our footprint, we actually are realizing more revenue coming back to the city that will directly impact the general fund. Okay, sorry, I have one more question. Okay. Um, I'm gonna resurrect Councilwoman Ortega here. She has asked for a real estate plan. Mm -hmm. So as all of our assets mm -hmm. that we have, have you ever sent our like huge five-year real estate plan to the new incoming council members? And I, I don't know if I've seen that recently. So A, can, do we have like a big portfolio plan mm -hmm. of all of our assets in Denver, how we're utilizing them, how we're um, leveraging some of our assets for other assets that we want? And B, have you sent us the court study that says that all of this is needed? Because I don't remember seeing that. So if you could please send that again. And is that court study within our real estate plan and our other um, agencies identified in a real estate plan? Like does DPD have a real estate plan on how they need to go? Does Parks and Rec have a real estate plan, arts and venues? Because these are all assets that we have. And so I think we need to look not building by building, but really look holistically throughout all of our assets at Denver? It's a great question. I will give you the same answer. I always, um, Councilwoman Ortega and I had lots of discussions about this. It is not conceivable to have one city plan. We have too many moving parts and pieces for that to, by the time we would finish that, something has changed. What we do have, and I did share with a number of incoming council members, uh, those that had time um, for the briefings, that we have a number of plans to your point whether it's court specific it's safety specific um it's golden triangle specific we are constantly updating those plans and i'm happy to share those um but yes we do take into account that we do it now um, with host as well in conjunction so our master our plans have to support what specific agencies have as their strategic plan right we can't be out making plans before we know what the agency's focuses are um, that being said, we do have it, uh, happy to share a number of them or to go over at least what those plans are. We did, I'm happy to resend again, I did share the court's plan as well as a number of supplementary um, documents that were provided by courts themselves to support what the, they went through through that program. But real estate doesn't have like a portfolio of all of our assets and how yes. we're leveraging them. Have you sent that to us recently? Uh, no, I have not. Can, sent the that's what I'm asking. I want to see real estate's portfolio of all of our assets and how we're how we're managing them and how we're leveraging them, because I get what you're saying that yes, real estate has to work with the agencies 100%. But at the same time, we have to actually have a portfolio of all of our assets and how they work together with these agencies. It's like a Venn diagram. No. Here's and real estate should be in the middle 
working in, in conjunction with all of the other agencies. Happy to provide that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. We've got four members in queue and we've got 15 minutes left because we've still got a, a um, state legislation briefing coming starting at 1130. So um, I will just ask council members to go relatively quickly. Council member Lewis. I'll be quick. Lisa, I have a, a question for you about the parking management piece of it because we did have that presentation yesterday and, um, and I asked about the parking management and I was told that we would just revisit the contract, but it sounds like that we would assume that we would manage the parking if we were to purchase this building. Correct. That would be in my understanding based on I was online last night. So we won't we don't manage today the contract that is in place. But you're right, the minute we take possession of that building, that would totally be on the city to, to decide the vendor for it and how we manage the parking there. That's helpful. And if I was told that yesterday, I might have made a different decision yesterday. Um, so after the, the first uh, six years, what happens then? I know you said that we're fully covered for the first six years, and then after that, what, what then happens? Councilmember Lewis, are you referring to the Denver Post acquisition? And Denver what Post, happens yes. In 2029, absolutely, okay. Um, so in 2029, what would happen at that point in time as it relates to the COP specifically, is you have an opportunity to refund or essentially refinance when you're comparing it to your personal finances and a mortgage you might have. So it's an opportunity for you to either look at the current situation at that particular point in time, depending on what we're doing with that building, you could potentially refund it to a tax exempt rate, which would essentially lower the city's cost of funds, or you could keep it in place through the final duration, which is 2033. Um, one of the other distinguishing factors I wanted to make in terms of kind of why now is the right time, at least from the financing perspective, I know we've highlighted a lot of the real estate aspects and some of those uh, bigger picture policy decisions, but I also don't want us to lose sight of the fact that we're still in a relatively low interest rate environment. The city of Denver is a very strong credit, and so we are being able to execute this transaction with a lot of flexibility as it relates to the Denver Post, a unique opportunity to capture revenue that would help offset almost all of the COP payments through 2029 at a fairly low rate. So I just wanted to highlight that for council as well. So is it likely to happen in 2029 or sooner? I would say um, in terms of the refunding, yes, uh, the, the refunding is yeah. set to happen in 2029. So at that particular point in time is when we would look at the refinancing opportunity based on how the documents are structured for that transaction. So with that restructuring, then would you all, um, you've talked about it being net positive. Is there any guarantee that that would continue with the re refunding? Um, as it relates to the COP, so we would continue to have a payment, but it could potentially be lowered if it isn't deemed determined by our outside tax council that we could refund to a tax exempt rate. Tax, rate, tax exempt rates generally tend to be lower than taxable. Um, and depending on what the real estate um, situation is at that point in time, if the city is bringing in additional parking revenue um, or any other revenue source, we could potentially use that revenue source to offset part of those payments. Okay. Um, this may be a question um, for Lisa to Councilwoman Sandoval's uh, question around um, buildings in the surrounding area. Is there any risk to um, this owner for the uh, for the Denver Post building? Um, any risk of bankruptcy, and have we considered that in our assessment? Uh, for the owner, yeah, no. I, I mean, yes, it's been considered. No, it is not, and we've had some conversations with the lender as well. Okay, thank you. Um, a few more questions. Um, so under the existing master lease um, that we have with the Denver Post building, are those revenues encumbered in some way? 
I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? <clears throat> Under the current master lease um, that we have with the Denver Post building, are those revenues encumbered in some way that we would be utilizing to pay? No, they are not. They, we will take all the financial um, amendment actions as a part of this CLP ordinance with the approval of city council body. So okay. to your point, yes, we will be appropriating the revenue and the subsequent But they're not encumbered? No. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Committee Chair. Um, quick question, easy one. Will we be getting the two million in escrow back or are we out that money? Yes, so it- And that's for the Denver Post building. Yes, right. Um, so yes, you will be getting that back um, by way of the financing. So we'll be financing the entire amount, um, just like you would when you buy a house. You have to write an escrow, an earnest check to buy the house, and then it right. gets wrapped back into- Into your financing, yep. Okay, and then we'll get that money back. Yep. <clears throat> into the general fund. Into the CP, CIP. CIP, okay. Um, <clears throat> that 5.1 million in rent, how will that change over the years? Do we have that? Yeah, so that rent, um, so those uh, leases actually came through city council in late last year. Um, right now we're at five point almost two because of the footprint um, that we're currently leasing, subleasing, I should say. Um, in to ensure that we can keep people downtown as well as continue to work at the Library Stack. As the work, uh, the work continues in the web building, employees will come back to um, the web building and our footprint over there will reduce, which will actually have a net positive impact to the general fund. In 2025, our footprint goes down about 50% to about two and a half million in uh, sublease rent and then down from there to two and a half. And our income doesn't change. No, that's correct. The income is locked in as a part of that uh, master lease that we're acquiring as part of the acquisition. Um, the, there will be a cost savings with the purchase of this because it will become a tax exempt building, correct? And I'm wondering who will benefit from that. Well, the first cost savings is the um, rent, I mean the revenue that we're obtaining as a part of the acquisition will offset our COP payment. And potentially, once we lock in all the rates, offset our expenditures that we're required to make for those lease payments. Um, and then the, um, oh, now I, what was your question? Now so I, there's going to be, the, the building will be tax exempt. Who's going right. to benefit? Will the yes. me, DP That's media right. benefit or will the city benefit from that? We will benefit. Okay. So it'll be taxable. And then in 2029, we have the option to move to tax exempt, which will provide a reduced cost. Councilwoman, I believe you're asking a question you asked uh, a few weeks ago about property tax. Is that correct? Right. Yep, okay, so as I think I've re responded and I'm happy to resend that answer as well. Um, right now, part of it already is tax exempt with our occupancy there. Um, where that will go 100% tax exempt when we own it, then the difference is that the Denver Postal will be required to pay a possessory interest tax instead. And I believe in my response, I did share what, I don't remember off the top of my head that percentage. Um, it's still fairly significant. Uh, I'm happy to resend that as well, but they will have to still pay a tax. They don't pay anything. Or, or I mean, they don't get a, to walk away with paying zero. Um, it's just now will be a different type of tax. Okay, and can we get um, an updated courts plan post-COVID? An updated, I'm sorry? For the needs of the courts? Uh, yeah, that's what we're working on okay. right now, yes. Great, um, I'm gonna give Council President a chance, so <laughs> thank you. Thank Great. you, Chair. Great, thank you, Council President Torres. Thank you so much. Um, 
I'll pick up right where uh, my colleague just left off on um, not just the court's utilization. I think we've been shared that this uh, presents, I think, a future uh, occupancy or use by courts. But I've also, I'm also reflecting that this is also potentially flex space as the web building gets renovated. Um, and I'm assuming because we've been we've been leasing from the Denver Post for years. And uh, whether it was parks or independent monitor or whoever, I, I what I anticipate, but I would love for you to confirm whether or not we anticipate beyond courts, additional use of this building for city um, offices and agencies. And, um, great question. And having been here as long as I have, I've learned that what I think I'm going to be doing in 12 months may be totally different based on how the city changes and how it prioritizes things. So that being said, yes, I think that the building, while we are confirming courts and the actual numbers, and I apologize because our courts representative, the court administrator, was not able to join us. Otherwise, she would have been here to answer some of those questions too. Uh, but yes, that also may give us some flexibility that if we need it for whatever types of um, city function use and staff, it would also provide that. Okay. Um, and what all, what all, what's Occupying, I think one of one of the thoughts that I have is how we use buildings. I'm, as a city employee, I've worked in the Minyasui building, I've worked in the Web building, worked in the city and county building. All are full, um, and you know we only have room in this building to provide office space for half of city council. Right? Other people are are, are out in community as well, and so I I know that even our ability to offer whether it's a satellite office here for council members or the district office uh, for council members, we're even squeezed in this building as well. And so um, while I know there's gonna be additional information coming um, before we uh, get to second reading on this, I just asked my colleagues to get this out of committee so that we can move toward that um, and for the rest of our colleagues to be able to vote on this um, and, uh, and hopefully not bog it down in, in committee where it could affect, I think, the actual cost value at the end of the day. Um, but you know, we still have each of our individual votes. I can't even say um, that I'm fully on board yet um, for our final vote, um, but I, I would just ask our committee members to advance it to the rest of the body so that we can all deliberate. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Um, seeing no other speakers, I have a request to do each of these three action items as separate roll call votes, Shannon. Um, and I will just say as a reminder, um, you know, there are only seven members of council who are voting members on any given committee. So um, our practice is to vote to move a full, as long as a, as long as a contract or, uh, or an agreement is ready to be considered by the full body, it is um, our process to move it forward to the full body so that all 13 members can vote on it. Um, so just wanna remind people of that. We didn't, we're not, if we move to vote this forward today, we're not approving it today. Um, we're just saying that it is uh, full and complete and ready to be considered by all 13 members of council. So just wanna make that very clear. Um, so Shannon, if you wanna go ahead. Did you get a motion and second first? Um, I do have a mover, Council President Torres. Uh, Council Member Cashman seconded. My computer is frozen, so I can't check my, um, is that correct? Uh, Council Member, okay, great, perfect. Council President Torres moved, Council Member Cashman seconded. 
Alvides. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Nay. Cashman. Aye. Lewis. Nay. Sandoval. Aye. Torres. Aye. Madam President, or Madam Chair. motion passes. Um, so now we'll need a mover and a seconder on 249 since we're voting on each of these three separately. It's 247. Sorry. Yeah, good call. 249 was still on my screen, but it's been moved now. So moved by Councilmember Cashman, uh, seconded by Council Pro Tem Sandoval. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Nay. Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Nay. Sandoval? Aye. Torres? Aye. Madam Chair? Aye. All right, that motion passes. Um, and then third item, 250. I need a mover and a seconder on that as well. Moved by Councilmember Lewis, seconded by Councilmember Gonzalez Gutierrez. Alvides? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Sawyer? Or, I'm sorry. Uh, Cashman? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Torres? Aye. Madam Chair. Aye. All right, that motion passes as well. Great, thank you very much. We'll see you on the floor. Um, and now we are going to turn to, um, take a deep breath and turn, <laughs> uh, and turn to um, an update from our state legislative team um, on the things that are going down at the Capitol. So Adam, come on up. Do you need help pulling the presentation up or are you good? Uh, I think so, actually. Oh, yeah. Tim, do you mind? Thank you. All right, we're going to just take a second, do a little transfer here. Thanks, Tim. While we are um, just waiting on this transfer and for Tim to get back to his desk, I will just um, let everyone know that there are consent items. Um, for today, there were four consent items. Uh, one of those consent items, 24-0255, has been pulled off of consent. Um, so just want to flag that for everyone as well. Adam, take it away. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Adam Berg, I'm the Director of Federal and State Affairs with the Mayor. Um, and now we get into all the fun stuff for those agenda items, which is an update on what is happening down at the Colorado State Capitol this year. Um, so we are about uh, 50 days into session. Uh, we have 72 days left. Just as a quick reminder, uh, legislators are down there seeking solutions to some of the biggest problems facing us here in the state of Colorado. So when we came into the session this year on January 10th and began the 120-day countdown till May 9th, 
legislators sort of previewed what they were hoping to do this year. And again, Democrats are controlling uh, both chambers again this year. And given their extreme advantage, they are largely driving the issues again, sort of for the fifth year in a row here, given their substantial majorities. Um, and they remain traditionally vague in sort of what they laid out in the opening days of the session. They talked about uh, housing affordability and workforce development, environmental protection, and of course, decorum, as we saw the special session earlier this year. Uh, Republican leaders used their orations on the first day to plead with Democrats for restraint, particularly on regulatory issues and around the environment, and to be collaborative as they came together to work on these issues. Uh, and they joined their, their colleagues in trying to seek relief for Coloradans in the high cost of living we've seen and the high cost of housing and the lack of housing affordability. Uh, and we were sort of waiting to see whether they would chart the same course together or take different approaches to these issues. Um, and I don't think to any surprise, we have seen largely different approaches from both parties. Uh, session has not been without drama. The House Republicans chose assistant majority leader at the time, Rose Puglisi, uh, to take the role of minority leader uh, over Mike Lynch, who uh, had some trouble that came out around the DUI arrest in September of 22. Uh, and we also saw another contentious start to session where we saw the rare censure of a lawmaker who was part of the majority party, and then the resignation of two other lawmakers citing uh, the mood in the building and sort of the partisan divide and vitriol that we have seen over the last two sessions. Um, and it's provided drama. We've seen both sort of the, the disunity in the Democratic Party, the delay tactics by Republicans who held the floor for almost six hours yesterday morning on a bill, uh, really disrupting the lawmaking process and the way these bills sort of chart their path through. And we can expect that to both be ongoing and pick up steam as we get into the second half of the session. Uh, Republicans really only have one strategy at their disposal, and that is to delay and filibuster the movement of bills. Uh, still, things are proceeding relatively normal. Um, I think every, every session offers its own uh, com complexities. Uh, but with 72 days remaining in the session, things are beginning to pick up steam. There have been a lot of bills thus far this year, uh, over 530 items introduced that include bills, resolutions, joint resolutions, et cetera. And that is a lot, if that feels like a lot, that's about 100 more bills than this time of year last year. Um, some questions around sort of why we've seen such a large introduction, whether it is um, drafting processes, potential delay tactics down the road, um, we've also seen Democratic legislators in the House try and alter processes to allow more expedited ending the debate of bills during the latter half of the session. So I think it's a little bit of everything this year. Um, you remember we had a big time crunch at the end of last session with bills sort of dying on the calendar uh, because the large land use bill took up a lot of wind at the end of session. Uh, so Democrats have large majorities. If they expect a bill or put a bill forward as a priority, we can expect it to move. Just because we expect it to move does not necessarily mean it will pass. Uh, we've seen these issues where there's sort of consensus on the topic, such as housing affordability uh, and lots of bills, but a disagreement on the policy that's best to address that. Uh, you remember I was here right, I think when session started or right before session, and we highlighted sort of the three topics we thought we were gonna see this year. Uh, I am glad to say we, we got those correct. So we've seen a lot of housing and land use legislation this year sustainability and the environment has taken uh, some bills again this year, and then workers' rights and labor relations is also a topic again this session. 
So I want to touch sort of high level on each of these and sort of the things we've seen. Uh, you get plenty of emails from me, and I apologize for spamming your inbox. Hopefully that outlines and keeps you appraised of what's happening uh, as things go. But regarding housing and land use, many of the measures we've seen this year are part of that land use package that the governor pursued last year under Senate Bill 213. This year they have taken another strategy due to its collapse last year of sort of breaking down those key items into different bills. Um, beyond the transit-oriented community bill or the TOC bill, which is House Bill 1313 that just got introduced last week, uh, the other measures tied to the POLIS efforts uh, include measures around eliminating parking minimums uh, and occupancy limits, uh, a measure to allow ADUs in front-range communities, and then a bill to study local government's housing needs for more long-term solutions. And then we've also seen bills impacting the cost of housing and renters. Uh, obviously, there's a big conversation happening at the Capitol this year around construction defect litigation and reform. There are three bills currently making their way through the process and possibly one more that's going to be introduced. And then four cause evictions, something we saw last year is back and gaining some traction uh, to try and keep people in their homes and prevent people from being evicted uh, and getting into sort of that unhoused cycle that we see so often. Uh, sustainability and the environment is really a topic that uh, sort of slow out the gate, but the last two weeks we've seen a plethora of bills with big topics introduced here. So Democrats and environmental advocates unveiled a pretty ambitious package of bills last week. Uh, three bills all related to ozone and permitting and sort of impacts of high transit areas. So the bills, one of them would pause oil and gas drilling in summer months and extend sort of how long that pause period would be. It would set caps on miles driven in gasoline powered cars and increase pollution fines for repeat offenders, for example, the Suncor refinery just to the north of us. Uh, they would focus on curbing toxic emissions from oil and gas drilling sites by changing how issues or permits would be issued in Colorado. Uh, it would lengthen the summer ozone season, something we've seen discussed with increased warming in our autumn months, uh, and then increase the amount of money companies could be fined if they violate the terms of their air permits. And then this is outside of another bill that was introduced two weeks ago that deals with an all-out uh, ban on further oil and gas development in Colorado. Uh, you can see a quote there from COGA uh, President Dan Haley, who said they will be fighting these efforts. Um, we expect them to sort of try and turn out industry in droves as these things sort of move. Uh, two other House bills related to uh, environmental justice that came from a task force that was created a couple of years ago are also making their way through the legislature. So you can expect this to be a big topic. I'm expecting lots of amendments on these bills as they go through the process. I don't think they all will pass. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of deal making to decide which issues will be a priority this year. Because um, something we're going to want to remember as this conversation continues is the discretionary funds that lawmakers sort of have this year. It's about 15 million per chamber of discretionary funding when all is said and done, uh, potentially less depending on how we see sort of the School Finance Act play out and what they decide to do with the BS factor. So that is not a lot of money uh, for other efforts that lawmakers would like to see done. So anything with a big fiscal note or price tag this year uh, is going to have to be either a huge priority for the majority party to get done, or they're going to have to negotiate. Uh, and then workers' rights and labor relations. So wage theft is being discussed this session down at the Capitol, uh, a bill that aims to protect specifically construction workers in the industry, um, sort of similar to an ordinance this body passed 
last year is making its way through the legislature. Uh, in addition, gig workers are also back under the gold dome. So you remember last year there was a, a pretty expansive bill that dealt with gig workers and the gig economy. They've narrowed it down to two pieces of legislation this year, uh, one of which will require companies like Uber Lyft to disclose rideshare fares and clarity on where drivers are headed cleared. Uh, its first committee this last couple weeks. And then another bill that looks at other delivery network companies and driver deactivation policies and makes various disclosures to drivers and customers. We actually do have a, uh, a driver who works for one of these rideshare companies as a legislator um, who has some firsthand experience working for these companies, which is where some of these, these bills have stemmed from. Uh, and then a couple more bills I wanna flag. They're sort of outside the scope of, of sort of these three buckets that I think are large issues that are gaining discussion. Uh, there is a Denver International Airport accessibility bill that it's making its way that passed its first House committee last week. Um, it requires Dan to ensure accessibility for travelers and sort of new timelines around dashboard issues and adult changing stations and other items. But the big uh, thing this bill does is create a new private right of action uh, against the airports. So obviously that has, has raised flags for uh, the airport. It's raised some flags for uh, our airlines as well. So we uh, continue to talk with sponsors about this legislation um, and try to work with them to find a, a reasonable solution that um, recognizing the issue we've, we've seen with accessibility at times. Um, revamping RTD. This is a bill I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard about or potentially even been, been reached out about. Um, there is no bill draft about this legislation. You may have seen a presentation from the sponsors, sort of high level, talking about what they hope to do. We're expecting a draft to be introduced probably sometime this week, if not early next week. Uh, but the end goal of this bill is to totally revamp the governance structure of RTD. Um, and one thing, obviously, that Denver continues to watch closely is would we lose any potential elected representation or appointed representation on that board, given the ridership and makeup that we have of that body. So. Expect that to be an issue that comes up here in the next few weeks. Uh, substance abuse, a big topic we talk a lot at, about a lot at the city level and legislators certainly are also talking about. And sort of two divergent approaches to this issue that I think lawmakers are talking about. One obviously sort of a, a harm reduction first model uh, and the other deals more with sort of uh, substance treatments and the pathways to treatment for folks who may get into uh, either the criminal justice system or other kind of system. Um, so one bill fully pretty comprehensive measure would actually look at uh, distribution of antagonists such as Narcan, exempting individuals who receive paraphernalia from the syringe exchange program from being charged with drug possession and a slew of other changes. I think it's a 45 something section bill. Um, and then the last thing I wanna touch on, uh, and this is a matter of, of Lauren, uh, Harvey, who we are lucky to have at the airport work, or at the city working for DHS, is uh, obviously health and human services issues. So there's no shortage of these issues like every year down at the Capitol, uh, that one of them from creating a comprehensive statewide system of care for children with behavioral health needs, all the way to revamping and overhauling the Colorado Child Care Assistance Program or CCAP. Uh, these things are moving quite a bit. I'm happy to work with Lauren to get you sort of a high level overview of, of DHS and what all is happening in that space. Because as you know, it's a very uh, technical area of policy and I would not want to pretend to have any expertise on those issues. Uh, so quick session summary. Uh, the timeline is strict this year. The clock is ticking. Uh, we can expect 
School Finance Act and the budget to come forward. Really the only things legislators have to do uh, during session by law. The rest of this stuff is all just sort of extracurricular activities and other policy. But uh, there's rumor mill, rumor mill swirling that, swirling that the School Finance Act may actually come out before the budget this year, uh, particularly as they look at the governor's priority of, of fully funding education, uh, K-12. Um, and again, education, education is a big priority for the governor. Hasn't really been a big topic within legislation itself in some ways, uh, particularly around the financing authority. That's because we're waiting for that School Finance Act, so expect that soon. Uh, and then the budget may bring some caution as legislators continue to look at their bills, at the price tags of their bills, trying to understand uh, with, you know, sort of, uh, inflation that seems to not want to go away, both in Colorado and across the country. What what kind of legislation should we be prioritizing, and will where will we spend our discretionary funds? And then we generally know some of the major issues this year. So all these topics we've seen, the bills I've highlighted, probably things you heard were coming. Um, so I think we were ready for much of these bills. The politics is about what you would expect around many of these issues. The one I would flag that stands out for me is the construction defect litigation conversation. If you remember from a few years ago how that conversation went, it does feel like something is, has shifted this year in that, in that rhetoric. Potentially local governments sort of coming into the fold and uh, I would not be shocked if they get something done around that issue this year. Uh, and then lastly, what will Republicans do? They will stall and filibuster. Um, so they will try and take up as much time as they possibly can to delay and delay legislation from getting passed this year. Um, so it will be a very fast paced and sort of crazy second half of session. Uh, I'm happy to take any questions. Awesome, thank you so much. And really appreciate you um, and your willingness to come in and just update us kind of at the end of every month and tell us what's going on up there. Um, so thank you very much for that. Let's start with Councilmember Parity. Um, yeah, so my question, which I suspect others uh, may echo, is um, if, can you talk to us a little bit more about um, during the budget process how any kind of funding that would come from the state for Denver for the migrant crisis, um, how we would learn about that, how we can advocate for that, and just mechanically how that would work? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, sure, yeah. Thanks, Carolyn, and, and thank you, Councillor. So um, there's several things that are sort of floating around potentially migrant relief as part of the budget. There was a, a Department of Safety Supplemental, that's about $6 million really geared towards agency partners who are operating in this space. That continues to move. The other and sort of larger one is a $24 million funding to schools to address um, newcomers who have arrived at their schools and, and potentially try and help make them whole. Uh, they're still negotiating how that formula would work exactly, exactly, because obviously Denver has seen a large influx of students but we're not the only school who, or the only school district who's seen numbers of students coming. Um, around other forms of relief, it's sort of to be determined. There's generally not a great process for cities to draw funds directly uh, from the state budget historically. It's just one of the complexities of the budget process. We have a different relationship that with the state than say school districts do, where they're you know funded, they have sort of their own funding formula within law. Um, so we continue to talk to the governor's office and our delegation about what opportunities may arise. So we will definitely keep you apprised as, as things maybe gain some traction here. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Madam Chair. 
Great, thank you. Councilmember Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair and, and Adam. I, I concur. I, I, I appreciate your updates. I read them um, regularly. I think it, it provides a really clear view of um, legislative impact on local issues and in our communities. So I, I really appreciate it. My question is high level. Um, I'm, I'm obviously focused on housing. And what I've seen within legislation that's coming down has been a lot more very specific um, um, solutions proposed by, by the legislators in some of the bills, including TOC or ADU, um, um, transit-oriented communities and accessory dwelling units. I'm curious from your perspective, do you foresee uh, those bills continuing, continuing as written or amendments that will actually move those up maybe a step higher in what they are recommending because my thought process is most municipalities are engaged in those specifics already and some of the specifics coming down um, don't match um, even here in Denver when we have very clear um, land use uh, process and the land use commissioner some of the stuff that we're reading um, conflicts with what we do so opening your crystal ball and wondering your thoughts on amend for some of these housing um, proposal that are extremely specific and may be in conflict with our current code. Great, thank you. Council Member Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, <clears throat> excuse me, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, just a quick question, when is CNA DA? Uh, May 9th. What is it? May 9th. May 9th, okay. So that's, that's until the date that they have until they get all this stuff done. Um, and then you mentioned, you said 50 million each chamber? Uh, 15. 15, okay, I didn't hear the one five. I was like, oh, 50, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's quite a bit. Okay, um, thank you. And uh, I just wanted to give a couple like updates and, and, and thank you um, council members for being so responsive. I think we definitely have seen an uptick in, in responsiveness as we're navigating all of these policies that are coming through. And I know it's a lot of work. And so I just want to extend my gratitude um, to all of you for, for doing the work that you're doing. That's it, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Councilmember Alvigas. Oh, thank did you. you want to respond to that, Adam? Um, I wanted to real quick respond to Councilmember yeah. Watson, if I can. Sure. Um, so don't hold me to this. I will. Uh, but I do think they will change. Um, TOC, the, the potential to withhold ATGF funding from cities if they do not sort of abide by the law, I think is a non-starter. Uh, for a lot of folks, uh, the ADU owner occupancy requirements, I think there's some negotiating room on. So I, I think there's going to be some changes to these bills. Um, it seems like the plan this year was get them introduced and negotiate more after. Um, so I, I expect to see some changes. In this. Great. Thank you. Councilmember Elvidris, go ahead. Thank you, committee chair. Thank you, Adam, for keeping us in the loop on all of these things. I'm very excited about the construction defect law being addressed. Um, my concern, and I see Councilwoman Gilmore is not here, is about the HOAs um, and that foreclosure um, when it comes to, obviously, condos usually come with an HOA. So I, is that still on the radar? Anything on the radar on HOAs? I guess that's my question. Yeah. Yes, uh, thank you, Councilwoman. That, um, it is still on the radar. So. Um, Specifically within the main construction defect bill this year, 106 uh, is the bill, alters some of the um, current law on how an HOA may potentially bring some kind of construction claim. Uh, we keep talking with legislators to better understand this bill. 
having these multiple bills that have sort of the same title all floating around at the same time, I think has created a lot of confusion around what exactly is happening in these bills. Um, so I'm happy to do a, a bit of a deeper dive and send you all sort of an overview of that particular issue and what the, the key points are that we should be aware of. I would appreciate that. Thank you so much and thank you, Committee Chair. Great, thank you. Council President Sandoval. Thank you. You know, off the top of your head is the language within the um, construction defect, the same language for, pertaining to HOAs, same language within the accessory dwelling unit HOA, because that's where I think a lot, like if we could break out these bills, what I've seen is them using different languages and it's really hard to track on how a tweak of several words impacts because that the HOA language is in the accessory dwelling unit bill. So it'd be like, okay, let's cut and paste that into the other bill, but it's different legislators working on things and sometimes they're not cross-pollinating. Have you done that in the analysis? I don't believe we have yet. That's okay. an excellent point. My guess would be they're both likely both referencing the same part of the statute potentially, although construction defect has its own oh. statute within law, but re reference HOA, I will double check and see um, if there would be potential overlap or issues with the way they're trying to build out each of their sort of uses of how HOAs would be impacted by these issues. Um, I think that's an excellent point. Awesome, thank you. Great, thank you. Um, seeing no other questions, I will just say I agree, particularly when it comes to the construction defects proposals, of which there are three, I keep getting very confused about which one I want to support, right? We need construction defects, litigation reform. Um, there is only one insurance company in the entire state of Colorado that will insure condo builds, which is why we don't see very many condominiums getting built because it is extraordinarily expensive. Um, and so, and that's a problem because that is, um, you know, attainable entry level housing. Um, and so we need to ensure that there is some, some sort of reform um, at the state level so that we have multiple players so that there's competition in the market so that there's actual building that gets done um, of condominiums. But I don't, you know, with those three bills, like it's just very, it's not our job. So we're doing it as sort of like a secondary, um, you know, secondary viewing and, and then coming up with opinions. And it's very hard to track which one actually makes the, the sense to to pursue and to, you know, support. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't know how we make that any easier. I think maybe that's just the way things work at the state and it all shakes out. But if you have any kind of advice on that, I, I would love to hear it. Sure. Uh... We, I, I will work to get you a better descriptor of all three bills. Some of them have similar goals um, around the uh, construction defect litigation reform issue. Um, I think there, it is confusing, um, especially you say like, well, what if two of the bills pass or three of the bills, like how would that play into law? Um, I don't think that's something that's gonna happen. I think they're probably gonna have to get behind one bill and decide this is the vehicle. I would say that SEMPA 106 seems to be that bill right now, um, which is the one we heard about so much before session. Um, I think what's interesting also to know about this bill, because um, there were conversations last year of trying to roll construction defect into 213, into the larger land use bill, uh, and they chose not to do that last year, and the governor again chose this year not to include it as part of his own 
uh, land use package. So I don't think that's any signal that he wouldn't sign it if it got to him. Um, I just think it's sort of an interesting, interesting choice. Um, but I will get you a brief on that. And I, yeah, there's two bills, literally both titled accessory dwelling units this right. year. Uh, one of them deals with unincorporated areas. One of them deals with metro areas and just confusing. I've asked uh, Dominic Moreno about this, if they can use the title for both bills and he said they can. So, uh, and he's the, the resident expert on all things legislature, so. Okay. Um, I really appreciate that. And I see Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez has jumped back in. Do you have anything to share? And I will, I just want to acknowledge, Adam, that you don't work for us, right? You are a staff member of mayor's office in the executive branch. So I want to say thank you for coming um, and keeping us updated on all of this. And I don't want us to put more work on your plate. Um, we have lobbyists for that. We have two council members who are in charge of um, that as well. So I'm very grateful for your willingness to do that. But I also want to say to you, um, if there is something that we are asking for that is too much that you are unwilling to do, please feel free to tell us. That is okay, right? You don't work for us. And I just wanna, I wanna acknowledge that, so. I, no, I appreciate that. Okay, thanks. Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam Chair. I think it's perfectly fine to ask him to do everything. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, but no, thank you also for the regular updates that you provide us on all the different levels um, of government. Um, but what I wanted to say um, basically was offer that perhaps we set up a similar thing that we did with the ADU bill, the, the large ADU bill, that we set that up for the three um, constructed, construction defect bills that we do some kind of conversation there and we you know, can ask you know, whatever city departments would be part of that um, that could be helpful in kind of teasing that out um, so that we can all have a clear understanding. Uh, I think we have um, uh, sent those forward right now for council feedback. And so this might be a prime time to, to figure out if we can fit that in somewhere um, in the next few weeks to, to just kind of tease them out a little bit. Yeah, I thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. Um, I will say from a process perspective, we're trying to find the right balance between like when council members need to kind of do their own um, engagement and figuring this out and when we really as a council need to come together for a briefing. Um, I do agree with you that that might be a topic that's worth considering. Um, to me, that is a land use topic and would need to go to our land use transportation and infrastructure committee that said, um, you know, it might be that it needs to come here or to another committee with, that there's space in if it's time sensitive. So um, why don't we kind of talk about that on the back end um, with central staff as well and the different committee chairs and see, um, number one, whether this is something that we feel like rises to the level that we want to bring it in front of all of council for a, a conversation about it or whether it's something council members really need to engage on, on their own. And then number two, where and if we have time um, for that, so I would say stay tuned, but appreciate you flagging that for us, yeah. Of course, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Anything else? Uh, I will avoid going into the potential federal government shutdown yeah. on Friday <laughs> and spare you the federal issues. So you I, got I think three that, minutes I think that's it to me. talk about the federal yeah, government think, potential shutdown. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for this update. Really appreciate it. Um, and with that, I already flagged the things on consent. Um, if there's no other comments or questions, we are adjourned.